Hi there, I'm Nicole Gilbert, and you've joined the Stop Scrolling, Start Sewing podcast. Are you new to sewing and want to start quilting but have no idea where to begin? Each Wednesday, join me as I share the ins and outs of that quilt life. If you don't have a sewing machine, have no idea how much fabric you need, or you're just trying to figure out where the heck to stick that bobbin, this is the podcast for you. Hey folks, Nicole here. Welcome to episode 18 of the Stop Scrolling, Start Sewing podcast. On today's episode, I'll be your professor for Quilting Fabric 101. I'm breaking down the common fabric terms you'll run across, types of fabrics, and some age-old fabric prep steps that you should be taking. But first, a listener shout-out. Stephanie writes over on the Modern Quilter Circle Facebook page, I started sewing a few years ago as a hobby and have always wanted to quilt. But it scared me, and I started putting pieces together a month ago as a new project. You've now helped me realize why my machine likes to stall on me with tougher fabrics, even when just making pillows. You've been so helpful. I love your podcast, Nicole. Okay. Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to leave me such a nice review over on the Modern Quilter Circle Facebook page. You're a girl after my own heart, jumping in feet first and learning as you go. I am so glad that you have found value in the podcast. Folks, if you'd like a mention on an upcoming episode of the Stop Scrolling, Start Sewing podcast, head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review. I'd read them all and I love to hear from each of you. If you've already left a review, thank you so much. They mean the world to me. Okay, guys, let's get sewing. So let's start with some basic fabric terminology. Um, And I will kind of have a recap of all of this over on the show notes for this episode, which you can find at themodernquiltercircle.com slash episode dash 18. So if you are like, oh my gosh, you're on the train right now, or you're on your Peloton, don't worry, you can totally catch up there. So let's start with some terminology because some of this is basics. Some of this is like, oh, okay, I got you. So let's dive in. All right. Let's start at the top. Yardage. So yardage, it refers to the length of fabric, usually off of the bolt. Um, And that's typically how you purchase it unless you're buying a pre-cut. So every quilt shop has a different minimum amount to purchase. Um, usually it's about, um, an eighth of a yard is your minimum, but I've seen, especially for online retailers, usually online retailers won't let you buy like less than two yards. I've seen one yard, but two yards seems to be the, to the standard, but yardage is just the amount of length of fabric that you're taking off the bolt. All right, now I'm going to go into a few of our pre-cuts. I went super deep on pre-cuts in episode 12 of the Stop Scrolling, Start Sewing podcast. So if you would like to really get a deep dive on some of the following that I'm going to chat about real quick, 
head over to themodernquiltercircle.com slash episode dash 12, and you'll be able to learn about them there. So first pre-cut, fat quarter. And a fat quarter is just a quarter of a yard cut the fat way, meaning if you had a yard laid out in front of you, you would cut it um, down the center both lengthwise and widthwise. And those four quadrants, each quadrant is a quarter of a yard, and it is cut the fat way. So that is obviously much easier to use than a standard quarter yard off of uh, yardage because a standard quarter yard is only nine inches wide, where a fat quarter is 18 inches wide. So you it's, it's a little bit more user-friendly. Um, same goes for fat eighth. If you laid a, a, a uh, yard out flat in front of me, you would cut it into eighths. Um, and so that is what gets you a fat eighth. And then we've got layer cakes, which are a collection usually of about 40 to 42 fabrics um, of 10-inch squares. So pretty cool. They all coordinate. Um, I love me a layer cake. I've got I've got a soft spot for layer cakes. Um, and on the layer cake chip, let's talk about charm squares. Charm squares are the exact same thing as layer cakes, except instead of being 10 inches by 10 inches, they are 5 inches by five inches. And then of course the king of all pre-cuts, the jelly roll. Oh my goodness. I love me a jelly roll. They are a collection of, depending on the brand, I mean, jelly roll is technically a moda and there's always, uh, 40 strips of fabric, but that actually will vary depending on your brand, but they are always two and a half inches wide by the width of fabric. Um, and I will get to width of fabric in a minute. Um, Let's see. Let's move on. Okay. So that's your pre-cuts. And like I said, I go way deeper into pre-cuts in a previous episode. So if you want to listen to that episode, you can go over to themodernquilterscircle.com slash episode dash 12, and you can get in on all the pre-cut goodness. I go over a lot of different types of pre-cuts, um, different brands that you can get pre-cuts in, what they're called in the different brands, and what to look for. So if you haven't listened to that episode, finish this one and then go over and do that one. Okay, moving on. Selvages. So the selvage is actually the edge that runs along the finished edges of your fabric. So not when they roll it out from the bolt, not the edge that they cut from, but the opposite ends. Usually they are a solid color, typically white, white, or whatever the background color is of the fabric that you've gotten. And on the selvage, it gives you um, some information, the company that produced the fabric, the collection that it comes from. Uh, many times you will also find um, a color code on the edge that tells you all of the individual paint colors that were used in the dyeing process, which is pretty cool, especially when you are trying to match fabrics. You can kind of get like that one fabric you want everything to tie into and then find coordinating fabrics off of that color key that's on the selvage. It's pretty cool. Um, and it should always be cut off of your fabric. We don't want to keep it on there because then once you start sewing, you might end up with a spot where you can see the selvage and nobody wants that. <laughs> and believe me, I've done it. 
I've, I've honestly, all of the mistakes that I tell you, like, please don't ever do that. I guarantee you I've done it at least once. So that's how I know. Please don't do it. Okay. So sometimes you will hear on the fold. I'm seeing it less and less. And I don't know if it's maybe that this new generation of quilters, and I would consider myself in that generation of quilters because um, the young girls are coming and I'm excited. I've got hands raised for that. Um, and also I say young young girls with an asterisk because I am 35. So <laughs> I'm not as young as I used to be, but I like to think of myself as such. Anyway, with pre-cuts being so popular, especially with newer quilters and younger quilters, um, the fold terminology is kind of falling to the wayside just because a lot of people aren't really working with full yardage um, fabric cuts. But if you ever run into somewhere referencing the fold, what they mean is the fold that is created when you fold your fabric selvage to selvage. So that crease that's created, that's the fold. Occasionally you will see patterns, especially if you're talking about, like I think the big thing now is I'm a quilter, so I don't really do any um, seamstress kind of stuff. I mean, I do it. I know how to do it in a very basic sense. I would definitely not refer to myself as a seamstress by any means. Um, but I've dabbled here or there, um, and I've definitely made like bags and, and, uh, zipper pouches and, and kind of all of the little sewing projects out there. I've done the, all, all of the things. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't, I can't like make a prom dress. I wish that's amazing, but not in my repertoire. Anyway, all of that to say, I have been doing a lot of face masks lately, like many of you have as well. And some of the patterns do work off of the fold. Actually, my husband has just actually asked me for a neck gaiter, meaning one of those, like, if you were a female, I would say, like, you know, the thing that you could use a face mask, but you now can also use a headband, those kind of things. Um, he wants one of those instead of just a regular face mask. And that pattern that I found that is working well for me today, and I'm actually doing it, like, today, um is actually the cutting comes off of the fold. So I have to fold it and then cut off of that. Same thing with the surgical caps that I made for um, some folks a couple of weeks back. So that's what they mean by on the fold. They want you to, to fold it selvage to selvage. I don't know why I rambled so much on that one. Okay, grain. Ooh, grain. Grain is the direction of the weave of a woven fabric. And that is always based off of the selvage. So like if you're looking for a reference point, it's the selvage. So the you bleh, on the grain references the thread that runs parallel to your selvage. And we can so there's different people refer to it different ways, but your thread that runs parallel to the selvage and perfectly perpendicular to the selvage are grain lines, okay? Some will say with the fabric, with the grain versus on the grain, like with the grain is the perpendicular and on the grain is the parallel, but the grain is either perpendicular or parallel to your selvages. Um, and so fabric that 
when you cut fabric on the green, there's no stretch. When you cut it cross grain or bias, you're actually like at a 45 degree angle or some degree angle to the selvage. And that will be stretchy for you. That's why some of your triangles, if you don't have it really sturdily set up or aren't stitching in certain ways, get a little wonky. It's because there's a little bit of stretch just naturally from the fact that 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 triangle is cut. At least one of those cuts is on the bias. Okay. All right. Bias. I have this all typed up and I'm just like kind of rolling through them. Okay. So bias is diagonals of the grain, like I just said. Um, and you will, you'll always work on the bias when you have a triangle just because of the nature of the shape triangle. Now, anything that you're trying to have stretchy or curved, you want to do on the bias. Also, keep this in mind when you are cutting your binding strips. Um, obviously, you can always buy um, binding tape, um, grain tape, bias tape. But if you are binding something that has a curve, use bias, not grain tape. Or make it um, yourself. I tend to always make my binding tape. And I almost always use bias just because I find that it does better when you're doing like magic mitered corners. Um, but that's just me. Some people are like, no, grain, always grain. Um, but that's, again, just me. Now, W-O-F. You will see this a lot in quilt patterns because the author of the quilt pattern does not want to make an assumption of the width of your fabric. They will also usually say based upon XYZ width. So WOF stands for width of fabric. Typically fabric off of the bolt is about 44 or 45 inches, but I have seen it as little as 40 and up to like 48. And that range is what would be considered like a standard width fabric. You will find some wide width fabrics um, usually used for backings and those are almost always 108 inches. Um, but in your quilt patterns, they will often say cut 12 strips two inches wide by the width of the fabric, meaning they just want you to cut the whole thing. You don't have to like cut it down smaller yet until the next phase if there is a next phase. Um, but oh, also, again, I always say all of this in reference to quilting because I'm a quilter and that is so heavily what I do. But for those of you who are into like home decor, home decor fabrics actually usually are 54 inches. So also keep that in mind. Um, less. Okay. So we talked about width. Now length. Your length of your fabric is always the amount that you have taken off the bolt. So if you order a yard of your fabric, the length of that fabric is one yard. So it's pretty straightforward. However long your selvage is, that's how long your fabric is. Okay, so now let's chat about right and wrong sides of your, your quilt fabric. Now, for most fabrics, this is super easy to find. Occasionally, the fabric gets super hard to find, and occasionally there is no right or wrong side, and I will tell you when is when. So when you've got a quilt fabric and like one side of it is like white or gray or black and then the other side has the pattern on it the side with the pattern on it is the right side and the gray white or black side is the 
wrong side. And that one's pretty, like, straightforward. Now, things like Kona solids or Motobella solids, um, those fabrics, there are no right or wrong sides. Or at least I hope I've just said that and now I'm like, oh, gosh, there is somebody somewhere who's going to be like, uh-uh, there is a right side. So if you know that, please come tell me because I've been doing it wrong the whole time. But seriously, you get those fabrics off the bolt. They're exactly the same on both sides, visually speaking, and they work the same way. So I have been operating for the last decade plus over the fact that those solid bolt uh, yardage do not have a right and wrong side. And then there are occasional ones where it's really hard to tell, but there really is a right and wrong side, especially for... Um, fabrics that are um, like blender fabrics where there's a print, but it's really hard to discern from the background. But if you flip it over and you look close, there's no print on that side. Oh, those will get you. Those are seam ripper fabrics. I love them. I use them all of the time because I think that blender fabrics are amazing. Um, and I will get a little deeper into what is a blender fabric a little bit later in this episode. But um, sometimes they can be a real bummer and then you sew like 10 chain pieces together and you're like, oh, that whole stack is upside down. I've done it. It stinks. So really pay attention to your right and wrong sides. I actually, when I am stacking my cuts up, to prepare them for chain piecing, I set them a very specific way. That way, when I pick them up, they always go right sides together. Okay, moving on. Ooh, last but certainly not least in the terminology section, scale. So scale almost always refers to the size of the pattern or print of your fabric. So think of this as like how much white space is between the printing. Or when I say white space, I mean like the background color. So sometimes you will see like really densely printed florals where like the background is a beautiful creamy butter yellow, but it's like a background and like 99% of the fabric is covered in a floral. That is a really dense and small type scale. Now think of like your character prints, like you you know what I'm talking about, the aisle in the quilt shop that's got like all the Star Wars and Harry Potter and Lightning McQueen fabric, and the pictures are further apart. You can see the galaxy behind Darth Vader, you know what I mean? Those are really large scale prints. And so scale just refers to how tightly those those printed pattern is together and a good way to think about it is to look at how much white space or or blank space or open space however however your design school brain thinks that is um the more of background space there is the larger the scale of the print okay guys you got that again like i said i will break all this down at the modern quilter circle dot com slash episode dash 18. Okay, so let's head on over to types of fabrics. And since I already mentioned it before, let's start with blenders. I love blenders so much. Okay, so I am definitely a modern quilter. <laughs> like you couldn't guess, modern quilter circle. Um, 
I love solids. I use solids a lot in my quilting. Um, I do use prints. I'm not saying I don't use prints, but there's a lot of prints you will never, ever, ever see me use um, because they're just not my jam. I will occasionally, when I say occasionally, I mean like occasionally use a floral and it's always a very small scale print, very dense on the fabric. Um, I do use paisley occasionally and I always feel like, like, oh, this is me walking on my wild side when I use a paisley. And even my paisleys are really pretty tame paisleys. I don't know if you can really say that. Has there ever been a tame paisley? But I swear I can find them. Um, And then for the most part, I use blenders. Now, blenders are any fabric printed in a way where, like, the print colors and the background colors all kind of blend together. Get it? Blender. Um, Think of your batiks. Batiks are great. Well, not all batiks, but a lot of batiks are great blenders. Um, I always think like white on whites. I use, that is somewhere where I do use a lot of prints, my whites. So I will put like a white on white print. Oh, I love me a white on white print. And that I will get kind of, I'll get some squirrely on that, like Christmas quilt, Christmas ornaments, white on white, because it doesn't feel so drawing to me. So with my whites, I will use prints. I take everything I just said back. (laughs) Um, But yes, so um, blenders are all kind of like the same color printed on the background or very monochromatic. So various shades of the same color, marbled. You'll see a lot of marbling um, fabrics out there. Those are excellent blenders. I love blenders because since I predominantly print with solids, um, a blender gives a lot of depth. to a quilt. Um, There's a lot, it gives it more, just a little bit of oomph, a little pizzazz. I love blenders. But again, I love blenders predominantly because I use solids. And so those end up being like my jazzy little pieces. For those of you out there who love to use prints, and I, I can appreciate a print. Oh my goodness. I've seen some gorgeous quilts out there using prints. It's just not my personal jam. But... Blenders are great with prints because what they do is sometimes when you're using a lot of prints and you try to put a solid in there, it looks a little weird. It looks a little flat. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, but a blender can accomplish the exact same thing that a sol- you think a solid will accomplish in your quilt, but it will look better with a blender because it's not so jarring like all of these prints and then a flat solid. Instead, you've got this softer marbled or batik or, you know, tone on tone pattern that really works well with all of your other prints. So keep that in mind. Blenders, I mean, I feel like everybody should be really comfortable and familiar with blenders because they're wonderful. Okay, so florals. 
I've got me a love-hate relationship with florals. I use florals, but only super small scale, um, like really dense so that the pattern is almost like the entire color. Like I like I like patterns so tightly packed together that it is its own color, much like how marbling and blenders are put together. So those are the florals that I like to use. Um, but I mean, you, I've seen some beautiful large scale, um, floral prints. I think personally why I lean away from large scale prints is that with my quilting, I like to do, um, pieced tops of pretty small pieces. And so they just don't, they don't express and translate well into the types of quilt top piecing I make because once you start cutting it up, you cut up those big prints. And so it doesn't translate to your final pattern. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of fussy cutting just because I have like a no waste tolerance with my quilting. Um, and so fussy cutting is like, not my jam. For those of you who don't know what fussy cutting is, fussy cutting is like especially done. I mean, you could do it for anything, but usually it's done when you're using a large scale um, print. And like, let's say you need a five by five inch um, quilt square, uh, cut square out of your fabric. You would actually center the print underneath like a five by five block and cut it out to be that perfect five by five square with your print perfectly inside that square so that that way when you do sew it all together you don't mess up the print like you don't like cut off Elmo's head or something like that um so that's why you would do fussy cutting um you do end up going through a lot more yardage when you fussy cut uh, so that is something to keep in mind so I think, okay, so let's go with batiks. I was going to say something first, but I think I want to go to batiks first. Um, so I love batiks so much. They are so beautiful and so rich in color. I think that's my favorite thing about them is that they're so rich in color. Um, what makes a batik a batik is that it's dyed in a special way that utilizes um, wax-resistant dyes. So it's kind of like a tie-dye or watercolor look. Um, and usually the fabrics are reversible, um, which is kind of cool. So like what's on one side is not necessarily what's on the other, and you can pick and choose what you want to do. Um, and like no two batik prints are ever identical because of the way they're done, because of the way that the wax is applied to the fabric and then dip-dyed. It's just, it's not, like, replicable. So, like, if you, there's no repeating in the pattern, which is pretty cool. I love it. A lot of batiks are blenders as well because it is, like, a tie-dye thing. And so, depending on the dyes that are used, you might get, like, blues and indigos and violets all on, on the same swirl and it's just it's beautiful and it would be a perfect blender and still really visually appealing um but yes the the big thing that i love is just the color oh my goodness batiks have such great color to them um and you will see them from everything from just like like 
splatter watercolor tie-dye effects all the way to like some really exquisitely done starbursts and animals and oh my gosh. I mean, the sky's the limit with batiks, but I love a batik. But I wanted to do that first because I know I had mentioned it when I was talking about blenders and I wanted to make sure that I didn't leave you hanging on what the heck one of those is. So now I'm going to go back. This is such a broad category and I was doing a lot of research trying to find a better term for this, but everywhere I looked, it just refers to them as traditional and unfortunately, I'm going to follow the pack and also refer to them as traditional. Um, But these traditional fabrics are, I would almost call them like heirloom fabrics, not from quality, which is what a lot of quilting, when you see the word heirloom, that's what they're referring to as the quality. Um, Heirloom is more about like vintage or like vintage Victorian, Civil War, Amish, all of these things would kind of fall under the headline of traditional. Um, Oftentimes you will see them in more muted colors, especially when we're talking about things like Civil War and Amish quilts. Um, There is a whole movement on replicating Civil War quilts. Beautiful. I need to make more. I've done one or two. Um, I actually made one via a Quilt of Valor pattern um, that was just... I'm in love with it. I made it for my husband's first deployment. Um, And it just speaks to my soul. But there are so many fabrics out there that are actually like Civil War reproductions. um, And they're gorgeous, but they are muted. So I think that's like the biggest thing. There's a lot of navies and burgundies and creams and taupe and beige. Uh, You're not getting any hot pink. Okay? But... They are beautiful in in their own way. They're they're beautiful and very very. I mean, again, traditional. So I guess I guess everyone's onto something. I really wanted to find a better word to describe them, but I guess traditional is it. Uh, let's see. And then of course, let's see. We've got our geometrics, which geometrics are exactly that. That's where you're going to get your checkerboards and your gingham prints and your polka dots, all of those types of things that's in your geometrics. Um, again, I don't use geometrics probably as most as I as much as I should. Um, I like I like quilt top piecing. So I'm gonna go there because I know you're probably like, well what does she like? I like basic solids and blenders because I really enjoy quilt top piecing. So when I make a quilt, it's got a gajillion little pieces love little pieces. And to highlight all those little pieces, sometimes I don't want to take away from either the quilt fabric itself, beautiful prints out there, I would end up chopping Elmo's head off every single time. You know what I mean? Um, Because I'm cutting such small pieces. So I don't want to take away from the quilt tops. But geometry, awesome. And then lastly, novelty fabrics. And novelty fabrics, again, are all of those things with like really, um, I mean, they're a little pop culture-y. So I, some, some companies will refer to their novelty fabrics. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I call that a novelty fabric, but it is, it does have like 
aquas and lime green and yellow and red and pink and just real fun colors. Um, and sometimes that's considered novelty fabrics. Most of the time, novelty fabrics have some sort of true picture on them. So, I mean, there could be anything from, I mean, you know, the Star Wars and Lightning McQueen fabrics that I was talking about earlier, or like little pictures of lipsticks and compact mirrors and purses all over it, or I mean, the sky's the limit. Any any sort of like actual pictures, little houses and roosters and kitchens and I mean, you name it, there's a fabric with it on it. I guarantee it. Um, and then often sometimes they will refer to a collection as a novelty collection, but there might only be, you know, a handful, maybe three or less fabrics in the collection that have like a true novelty print to them. Like I'm thinking of um I'm trying to think. What's a good one? can't think of one off the top of my head, but I know, like Lily and Loom, I love Lily and Loom so much, and I actually recently got a layer cake from them, and one of the pictures in the layer, one of the prints in the layer cake was, like, kitchen um, apparatus, so it was, like, really cute. There was, like, blenders and spoons and all sorts of stuff on there, but then the other fabrics in the collection were, like, more florals and geometrics and blenders, but they went really well with that pattern. So sometimes when you get like a collection, maybe one or two will be a true novelty and the rest just go really well with it. So like I've seen some really cute novelty quilts and the the key there is to not go overboard with the novelty prints because they can get a little um, garish to say the least. Okay, guys. There you have it on the types of fabric. Now we are going to get into preparing your fabric for use. And I understand that this episode is getting a little bit long. So thank you so much for bearing with me. I've been rambling my little guts off. But this is the last one we're going to dive into. uh, Preparing your fabric. Now everybody has some different ideas of whether you should prepare or not prepare, wash or not wash, starch or not starch. But that's what really goes into preparing your fabrics. Now, if you are buying high-end quilt shop fabric, you probably don't need to prepare your fabric. If you are buying bright colored fabric, especially reds and really crazy blues, I believe you should wash it. I don't care what kind of fabric it is. Wash it because the last thing you want to do is have bleeding colors. Now, this again is a personal preference, however, because I know there are many people out there who are like, I never, ever wash my fabrics. Just use a color catcher after you wash your final quilt. And what color catchers do is they actually absorb all of the bleeding colors so that all the bleeding dye goes onto the color catcher and not on the lighter colors of your quilt. So I get it. Also, some people are like, I starch everything because they want to make sure that all of their fabric holds up and plays nicely together. And some people say, I starch nothing. Again, personal preference. However, I will say starch can be quite handy when you're working with 
cuts on the bias because it makes it a little stiffer and it cuts out some of the stretch. But we always have to remember, I truly believe, especially when you're mixing different brands, what you do to one is what you should do to all in a particular project. So make sure we're staying consistent so that all of our fabric plays nice together. And if we are pre-washing our fabric, uh, the great thing about pre-cuts from like Moda, everything's pinked. You don't really need to wash a pre-cut. But with all the edges being pinked, they won't have uh, the unravel go on. A good way to solve the unraveling yourself is to either pink it yourself, which is that zigzag edge on the – there's special scissors that do it. Or you can clip all the corners of your fabric, and that will also help with your unraveling in the washing machine. But those are the different ways to do it. Regardless if you wash or don't wash or starch or don't starch, press your fabrics. That is the number one prep I want you to do. If you take nothing else from this episode, it is that you are going to press your fabrics. Okay, guys, that was a lot. So again, head on over to themodernquilterscircle.com slash episode dash 18 to recap all of the things I went over today. Also, you can head over to themodernquilterscircle.com slash podcast for not only today's episode, but all past episodes so that you can get up to date. And folks, you have just finished another episode of the Stop Scrolling, Start Sewing podcast. Thanks you for hanging out with me and make sure you never miss an episode by hitting subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Now stop scrolling and start sewing. 